Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor, make sense out of the senseless, and if at all possible, find the obvious buried in the absurd. Hold on to your friggin' lug nuts, kids. It's time for an overall. Let's do it. Back at it again, right here in the nearly frozen, solid Aurora Media Production Studios. It is four degrees in Chicago, but I'm not complaining because the heat's on. So the studio is probably 44 degrees at this point, but I have it all warmed up in different places. I'm used to this. And I, first of all, let me just say this uh, I actually have a list of things that happened this past week, things that I took note of, and some names. And uh, I rarely do that. It's just been a really, really, really interesting week. And I thought, how do I kind of cram all this together? And in it, should I? We'll find out if it works or not. Only you'll be the judge of that. And the top story here, of course, in Chicago and many parts around the country is that it's cold out in January. I know it's a shocker. And there's snow. Yeah, there's snowstorms and very cold weather in January. Now, this has never happened before in our lifetime, because if it had, they wouldn't make such a big friggin' deal about it. However, if you go back and look at last year, the year before, the year before that, the year before that, the five years before that, the 10 years before that, you'll see that it's cold usually in Chicago, December, January, February, a little bit into March, and things change. You would think this had never happened before, that we'd never had snow on the ground, that we never had sub-zero temperatures in Chicago. Everything is an emergency. The latest thing on the uh, news is that they have somehow taken large groups of people and say they're under threat. 150 million people are under threat of cold weather. Oh, come on. When I was a kid, here we go. When I was a kid, I remember taking bread bags, plastic bread bags from Wonder Bread and slipping them over my socks and wearing them in my galoshes to keep my feet dry. Now we have all this cool technology. You shouldn't be cold at all. I'm sitting in a studio with a heating pad on my feet, a heater on the back of my seat, my chair, not my backside. I should though. Now there'd be a good idea. I got my warmy gloves on. I got a hoodie on. The microphone is warm. That's all I kind of care about. It's a sunny day. My point in saying this little mini rant to begin with is, come on, folks. It's really, really interesting how people see things at certain times of the year. And uh, I find it fascinating. I can't watch it. You know, like I said, I'm getting to the point in my life where I've seen, I don't know, a million commercials. Too many about drugs that say there's something wrong with you. Take this, you'll feel better. I don't understand how taking a drug makes people want to dance around in a commercial and look perfect. And then they put all the side effects up. Your liver might fall out, but you should take this to feel better. So, you know, I'm at this point, I guess I'm, I'm ornery and cranky, but for all the right reasons, not all the wrong reasons. The things that are most obvious to me and buried in the absurd is that life is good no matter what. If you're still on this side of the fence, it doesn't matter how cold it is out. It'll get warm again. Just chill out. No pun intended. I was thinking about a cartoon uh, gosh, let me if I remember where I found this stuff. But there was this cartoon um, with this guy in there would walk around and he'd say, we're doomed. It'll never work. 
I think his name was Glum. And I hear so much of that now. We're doomed. It's all over. I don't care what the topic is, whether it's the weather, politics, sports for sure, all these horrible, difficult, challenging things, as if that we've never been through this before, as if we'd never been to this party. And yet here we are again and again and again, chewing the same fat on the old bones. And what I'm saying, and what I attempt to do in this podcast every week, whether I'm successful or not, I have no clue, is to find out, you know, look, folks, it's about perspective. Yeah, it's cold out. <laughs> Next. I sound like little Archie Bunker there. Next. It's cold out because it's January. It's supposed to be. And if it was 95 in Chicago, we'd have an effing problem. I think we do. That's for further discussion. You know, I've got this long history professionally and personally of doing environmental work. Uh, Bill Curtis and I did the Earth Matters series for a very long time and uh, deep research on this stuff. And you take the deep research and well-scripted um, text and you put Bill Curtis's, you know, wonderful tones on there and it grabs people's attention. The whole idea with Earth Matters, it was one minute long. And the whole idea was to give them information you don't get anywhere else and let them consider it. And I think unless you get information you don't get anywhere else, you'll never consider it. It just becomes something that we go through. So here we are, uh, hear people saying, well, where's that global warming at? It's four degrees in Chicago. Attention, attention, please. It's called global warming. And part of the reason that this happens and more, it seems to be more frequent as far as the the uh, severity of storms and things is because the polar ice cap is melting and Antarctica and Antarctica are, are having some challenges induced by all this, you know, uh, human activity. But like everything else humans get involved in, where we can't see the outcome because we're too focused on the income, is that we can't see the forest for the trees. I'm reminded of my mom, for example, who smoked for years, puffing away like she made the stuff up herself. And it wasn't until it went south and she had lung cancer that there's an effing problem. And humans are like that with everything on the micro and the macro. We do this stuff. We churn this stuff out. We can't see the immediate result of it. So we think everything's okay. And it's not. And so everything eventually has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And what you think you're getting away with at some point turns around to bite you right in the ass. So when I see all this chomping on the bit of, you know, global warming must not exist because it's cold in Chicago in January, that is not the point. There is weather, which is what we're experiencing now in Chicago. This is the winter weather, but the climate, which is overall, is a different deal. But because we don't live in a place where they're having massive wildfires or flooding, we think, well, that's not real. It's something on television, like a movie. It's not a movie. I mean, it is. It's our movie. But it's not part of our experience yet, so it must, must not be real. Anyway, I, I made a note on my little pad here to not go off on a tangent. There'll, there'll be a time for that later, uh, closer to Earth Day. But there's that. But in, in deference and response to the cold, as opposed to just going, oh, my God, it's cold out, and having some poor reporters stand out in the weather, a la Jim Cantori, who for years stood out in the worst weather that the Mother Nature could serve up. And we go, oh my God, look at Jim. Is he going to be okay? He's fine. Um, somebody in Chicago decided to do something about the homeless population that had nowhere to go. And this is a great story that uh, Candace Payne is the woman's name. I came across this uh, 
last week on one of the uh, the sites that I, I monitor for the news, a Chicago woman who booked hotel rooms for the homeless during this past week's polar vortex says the idea was impulsive and a result of her current blessings. Candace Payne, who I mentioned, told CBS Chicago that she charged 20 hotel rooms at the Amber Inn Motel on her credit card after hearing 70 homeless people were stranded with no source of heat. The fire department confiscated about 100 donated propane tanks because they posed a fire threat. After the initial 20 rooms, she was able to crowdfund more money from donations on Facebook, allowing her to book another 40 hotel rooms through the end of last week. Donations of transportation, food, and money also flooded in. All of us don't know each other, Payne said of all the donors. Maybe they didn't know how or where to start to help, so I'm glad I was able to be that vehicle. Here's the best part. We got people from the police stations, the hospitals, outside, huddled around fire pits. We drove around looking for them. What inspired me was my current blessings. So I was just giving back. Just giving back for what we've been given and what we have is huge. So I have learned over time that the more I give, the more comes back to me in so many different ways. It may not come back the exact way I gave it out, but that doesn't really matter. And it's a, kind of like a dance. So I'll be interested to watch if Miss Payne pops up again in some way, shape, or form in the news for doing the work that she's done. And if she doesn't, I can rest assured that life is doing her right because she did something that she was impelled to do and compelled to do for people that she doesn't even know. That's the magic of it all. So there's kind of your feel-good story for the week because we're going south from here. <laughs> not really, not really. Um, artificial intelligence has uh, been around with us for a very long time. I look at my phone, to me that's AI. I mean, it does. there's more technology on my two-year-old supposedly extinct and out of uh, sync phone than there was on the first lunar module that got men to the moon and back. And when I think of that, I, it's amazing to me. It's sitting right here. 99.995% um, of what this phone can do, I don't use. I'm pretty much a stegosaurus. You know, my thumbs only go a certain way. Glad to have thumbs at all. And if I'm just texting my kids or grabbing a few pictures or checking my email or making a phone call, that's kind of about it. So to me, that's artificial intelligence. This thing is smarter than I am probably because people who are smarter than me built the damn thing. What I think is really smart is they get you to buy a new one every year and uh, not going down that rabbit hole. If I have to pay more for a phone than I paid for my first car, which was 750 bucks, not going to happen. This cowboy does not go to that rodeo. So... I came across this article and I thought, oh, this is perfect because this kind of explains to me maybe where this is headed and how it ties in to the problem of humans not understanding what reality is and what it isn't. As we go into an election cycle, there will be more of this than can be imagined. I can tell you before I read this story real quick, and I was talking with friends about this the other day, the whole AI thing. This uh, show that you're listening to, I've edited. I had some burps and beeps, and I had to blow my nose twice and coughs. I spit something out you don't want to know about. And all of that just came out of the show. I saved your ears, so you're welcome. But it's edited. Not highly edited, but cleaned up. I could literally take eight shows I've done over the years with eight different guests, and if I took the time and the energy and, and had the, the wherewithal to do that or the, you know, the impetus to do it, I could make it sound 
totally different than what these people said. So going into this election cycle, need to know that. You know, it has its upside and its downside. So in some ways, what we've seen in the past is rudimentary to what we're going to see going in, where you will have to, in my opinion, everything that's AI generated should have a stamp on it. This was created by artificial intelligence. I just got off reading a story about Sports Illustrated, the celebrated sports magazine for over 70 years. So they're basically going down the toilet. And one of the reasons is, last year, whose brilliant idea this was, is that they created artificial intelligence to write stories and create reporters who aren't real. Not real stories, not real people. But it looks that way. It's cheaper. You don't have to worry about it. Just create, a, create some sort of an icon and pretend like they wrote it. And next thing you know, they thought old Jed's a millionaire, but that's not the way it turned out. So now they're in deep shit uh, because of this AI thing. And you're going to see more and more of that. But anyway, here's the story that I came across that I just think is, it's so telling on both sides of the fence. An agency created an AI model who earns up to $11,000 a month because it was tired of influencers who, quote, have ego problems. Anita Lopez is an AI-generated creation by a Spanish agency that grew tired of booking real models. Lopez makes over $1,000 per advertisement and is featured in images in many magazines. The uh, CEO previously told Insider that AI-generated characters would thrive and be common. So it goes on to talk about how they were having trouble working with real models and influencers. My grandmother was an influencer about mashed potatoes. Too bad she missed her time. They said, we started analyzing how we were working and realized that many projects were on hold or canceled due to problems beyond our control. The ego of influencers and models. Often it was the fault of the influencer or model and not due to design issues. We did it so we could make a better living and not be dependent on other people who have egos, who have manias, who just want to make a lot of money by posing. At the time of the publication, 56 photos has been shared on Lopez's Instagram account. Images of her dressed in lingerie I always wanted to say that on the air. I've never, that might be the first time I've ever said lingerie on a podcast. Enjoy it. Images of her dressed in lingerie have been posted in many magazines, and it's a platform that only fans are connected to. Her most recent Instagram stories show her drinking cocktails on a night out that doesn't exist and going to a gym that's just imaginary. The agency created the images using Photoshop. Cruz said she was created with a personality and based on what society likes most. She's described as strong and a determined woman and a passionate Scorpio with a love of video games and fitness, and she's not real. So they're making money because of the human ego got involved with the influencers and the models and all the rest that goes along with it. Let's just create people. Hmm. It's going to be interesting to see where all this turns out. So I think about the people that have been influences in my life, not influencers, which is different, it is a fascinating concept to me that there are people who apparently can just become famous by being famous and touting products. I've seen it, you know, and we see this all over the place. I don't, I'm not an Instagram. I, I think twice a year I put something on Twitter just to make sure the account stays. Oh, it's called X now. I'm sorry. I call it Twitter. It's like calling Comiskey Park the cell. It's not going to happen. It's always Comiskey Park for the White Sox. So we have this AI influencer 
for lack of a better term, who's not real, making 11 grand a month and people don't care whether it's a real person or not. Where are we headed to next? So at some point, maybe we'll just have an AI society. So if you don't like Trump or you don't like Biden, create a third presidential candidate and let's vote for that person and let's have them run things. (laughs) Maybe artificial intelligence is better than real intelligence. Because if you look at the headlines now and again, you kind of want to shake your head and go, really? Hmm. I'm working through my list here. And uh, that leads to this new thing that I've noticed on Facebook called My Puzzles. And it's puzzling to me. So in a world when we're told that you got to protect your data, your identity, and all the stuff that goes along with it, I am fascinated that people willingly use apps that compromise their data and identity without really knowing anything about the app that they're using. So this new thing, my puzzle is going around and apparently it is a Photoshop kind of deal where it takes your face, your image, and it puts you in different bodies and different times in history and all this stuff. And I've watched probably half a dozen or more people I know go, Oh my God, don't I look great? And they're like, you know, the queen of England or something. And so it creates this and it takes your face and puts it in there and you become someone that you're not unless you were here in a past life. And yet, when you go online and you look at the uh, challenges that these apps create for people, uh, they wonder why there's problems with, with you know, data being ripped off because it's in disguise. So the best way to do it is get to the human ego again and say, hey, look how cool you're going to be if I take your face and put it on a, on a totally AI-generated body. And because it's got your image... It then can reach in and start grabbing your data because you've allowed it to do, you've agreed to this just to look better. That is so fascinating to me. But however, I thought to myself, well, what if I did that? Who would I want to be or what time frame would I want to live in? And I, I don't know, like 1904 be all right, just for a couple days. Nice topper hat, little bowler hat, maybe some spats. I don't know. I like where I'm at now. I I just find it fascinating that people are so willing to give this over because it strokes the human ego. It goes right back to the AI thing. Because the ego gets in the way we're creating fake people. And because you have an ego, you get to create a fake person with your face on it. There's one of me. That's enough. But there's some things that happened this past week that I think, as I'm watching my clock here, and really working to keep this around 30 minutes, and I'm already not going to do that, that there were a couple of experiences I had that to me were uh, one of a kind. Last Monday, I had the opportunity to sit down with a true American hero. Does not happen very often. Major General James Mukiyama uh, is the author of a book called Faith, Family, and Flag, Memoirs of an Unlikely American Samurai Crusader. And uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mike Devine, uh, put us together, and we had an incredible lunch. We were there probably three hours. And it all started with his book, and it was a great conversation about his life and where he came from and the challenges he overcame and astounding, astounding stories from a guy with tours in Vietnam and Korea and, uh, you know, just at one point, I think he was the youngest general in the army, uh, a life devoted to service and faith and family and the flag. And he'll be on an upcoming podcast uh, with us at some point. But sitting there talking with him, it was really hard on a couple levels. Number one is, as a former military person myself, I I half saluted the guy when I walked in. 
And it was just out of respect and response. I have not been in a military uniform since 1986. That's a long time ago, but it, it just ingrained in me. And he said, he kept telling me, call me Jim. And I'm, yes, sir. <laughs> it's just the way that it was. That was important to me. And it's just military bearing for some of us never goes away. The second part of it is uh, listening to him speak about where he came from here in Chicago at a place called Logan Square, which is very different than when it was when he grew up and how he climbed through the ranks and how he got where he was at. Uh, we have both came from Schur's High School. That was the other connecting piece. Uh, he was way ahead of me in 1961. I didn't get out of there until 77. And to see him talk about this school that we both went to, uh, what it was like for him back then and what it was like for me many, many years later was quite a, a point of uh, a consideration. And the third thing, without giving too much away here, is that his adopted daughter was able to give him a kidney as a perfect match a few years ago. And how does that happen? She's not his biological daughter. She's his adopted daughter. A little bit of a setup there, if you ask me. And of course, many of you know that I gave my daughter, Amanda, a kidney back in 2002 when she was 13. And uh, she made it to 2018 with that. And she has another donor just past her three-year mark. She's doing fantastic. So we have those things in common and yet not much else. And that's okay. And I think that's part of all this as we roll into this, this season of beating the shit out of each other because we don't like each other's politics. I will probably say this a thousand times between now and November. I've never seen Democrat or Republican on a headstone. Ever. Or independent. What I see is father, mother, sister, brother, auntie, uncle, veteran. Beloved. And if you look at life in those terms and death in those terms, then these things that divide us aren't that important. We just make it that way. So that was Monday. I had a great uh, time talking with, uh, with General Mukiyama. Uh, I, I will let you know when he's going to be on the show. The book is called, you should go get it. It's on Amazon. It's called Faith, Family, and Flag, Memoirs of an Unlikely American Samurai Crusader. And he has quite the story to tell. And then on the other side of the coin, but also very interesting to me this past week, as there's a really big Chevy pickup truck that parks on our street most of the time. And as a former truck guy myself, I have great appreciation for big trucks with big tires and roll bars and all that kind of stuff like that. I, I had some when I was younger. You know, I had a couple of big trucks. I've had Jeeps. When I lived in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, I had a, this monster Ford F-150 with 38-inch mutters on it, a cap on the back, four-speed. Come on! It was a great rig. And... So this truck gets parked out here now and again, and I've seen the kid that, uh, you know, that owns it uh, here and there. And because of the snow last week, there's also a car directly across my driveway that has not moved for a couple months. So they plowed around it. So you got to curve around that car. And this kid parked his monster truck on our side of the street, just to the right of my driveway. And it was sticking ass end out about three feet. So you're, that narrow passage is a little bit to navigate. And when you're backing out of the driveway, it's a lot to navigate. So my analytical mind kicks in knowing that Thursday is garbage day. There's no way in hell that the waste management truck, roughly the size of a stegosaurus, is going to fit through that little corridor to pick up the garbage. So I called the village and I said, hey, here's the deal. And the cop came out and put a ticket on the car across. But nothing you can do about the truck because it's plates and it's just parked. So I thought, oh gosh, you know, so what, you know, you do what you can do and you let it go. 
A couple hours later, I'm out sh- shoveling, pushing the snow back. So when it starts melting, because it will, we're doomed. No, we're not. It's just snow. Um, the kid comes walking out and he kind of waves at me and I wave at him. And before I could say anything, he goes, yeah, the truck's dead. I can't get it. You know, the battery's out. So I said, do you have jumper cables? He says, yeah. And so I hooked the, our car up to it and I'm letting this run for 15 minutes. I said, get in the car, you know, where it's warm. So he's standing outside. And I come to learn his name is Malik. He's working two jobs. He works at Jewel's. If you're a Chicago person, you don't say Jewel food store. You say Jewel's. That's how you know you're really from Chicago. And uh, he works two jobs. One of them is at Jewel's. And he's, as I mentioned, 22, trying to find his way in the world. And going back and forth, his dad was in the army. And so, you know, we're having these conversations. He kept saying, yes, sir. Just like I said to the general. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Which means he's had that influence of his father, not an influencer, but just the influence of his dad, who brought him up in a way to be respectful, especially to a stranger and someone who's a lot older than he is. So we couldn't get the truck running. And I said, listen, you know, we can't leave this sitting like this because here's the deal with the garbage. He goes, oh, I never thought of that. So the only option was to push it. And, I th- and this was just a response to me, like in my mind. When there's a, su- a problem, I'm already looking for a solution. Like Miss Payne goes, oh, there's these people out in the cold. Here's my credit card. Let's do something. So my mind goes, what's the solution here? It's push the truck. The curb weight on this truck is between 4,800 and 5,300 pounds. It's got these huge tires on it. And it's facing east. No, yeah, it's facing east. And it's three feet out. And I'm like, okay, there's been enough snow melt that I can probably get this thing moving. So I said, get in there, put the thing in neutral, and I'm going to start pushing this truck. And we need to get it about 30 or 40 yards up the street here to pass where all this stuff is at so you can get it straight so the truck can get through, the waste management truck can get through the next day. And he looks at me like I'm an idiot. He says, you're going to push this? I said, well, we can't both push it. You have to steer. So it makes no sense to put my 200 and never mind how many pounds body in the truck. I'd rather get behind the truck. He weighs about 125 pounds if he's lucky. So he gets in the truck looking at me with his eyes all bugged out. And I start pushing. And I get maybe 10, 12 feet. I get behind it like they didn't, you know, world's strongest man. I get underneath this thing and I'm pushing and pushing and from the back with my back against it. And it hits a snowbank. So I rock it back and I dig it out. This goes back and forth for a good 20 minutes. Little here, little there, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, I had this thought pop into my head. Like, I've done this before on the seven-man blocking sled in football practice back when Richard Nixon was president and probably Gerald Ford. And so I just closed my eyes. I got underneath this thing in the back, and I just started to give it all I got. And I didn't even think, well, what if I have like a freaking heart attack? I'm 65 years old. I wasn't 65 then. I was 17 in my mind. And I just got under this thing and damned if we didn't get where we wanted to go, 35, 40 yards down the street. And when we finished, I popped up and he's looking at me in the rear view mirror, gives me a thumbs up and I give him a thumbs up and he gets out and he gives me a big hug and he goes, man, who are you, effing Godzilla? <laughs> and we hugged each other. And it was this huge win from two people who are basically strangers. Let me also say, just for the record, that Malik is a young black fellow, and I am not. And we're total strangers for the most part. And sometimes life puts you in situations where things like that are supposed to happen. Like Miss Payne pulling out a credit card 
and making sure people are warm. Or me getting behind a truck with this kid because I don't want the garbage truck to have to go around the block and making it work. Now, the truck's still sitting there. They won't get it running until they put a new battery up. But that's not the point to me. It was like with leverage, with leverage, anything is possible. It may take some time. It's a lot of work. My only concern was getting room for the garbage truck. But what came out of that was a connection that's not going to change now. So he works at the jewels down here. And when I walk in and see him, I'll be able to say, hey, Malik, how you doing, brother? That was something that didn't exist before this problem uh, disguised as an opportunity showed up. I had to chuckle about it later. I'm like, of course. I wanted the truck moved, so I had to move it. It was a great thing. Also great to spend time this past week with friends of mine out of state. They're in from California visiting their dad. And I had a chance to spend some time with them the other day. We were sitting there eating and, and just relaxing and catching up. Sometimes I get to the point in my life like I've heard it all. And uh, this was a new one. So we were going back and forth at lunch a little bit about uh, food and things, which is always a great topic, is it not? And uh, a friend of mine's wife says, you know, when I was 22 years old, I looked at the can of Manwich and I asked my roommate, where's the meat at? There's no meat in this can. <laughs> because clearly on the label of the can of Manwich, it shows meat. And when you open up, it's just sauce. You got to add the meat later. And we had a huge laugh about that. But I can understand over the last few days after I, I, and I teased her about it a lot. But she had a point, I think. You know, you look at the label, it says Manwich. I think there's a class action lawsuit here. How many years have we been eating the Manwich without any meat inside the can? I got to read the fine print to see if that's even possible. But also, after chuckling about it for quite a while and going back and forth, uh, I started to think about other things like that. So I don't know whose idea it was to come up with spam as a, you know, a, a metaphor for unwanted email. Who decided that was the deal? Spam. I like spam. And, and, and true to form this morning, I'm, I'm doing some work online. And there's this friend of mine who always puts up this funny stuff. It's brilliant because it breaks up the monotony of a lot of the social media stuff. And it was the whole spam skit from Monty Python. If you've never seen it, first of all, you got to be a Monty Python aficionado to make that stuff work. And it's a whole thing about spam. They go on about spam and the way spam can be cooked. There's a whole spam song. I can't use it here because there's some copyright issues. But it basically says, you know, it's spam, 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 mighty spam. And they get all the spam thing. And here we are years later and somebody somewhere probably the same freaking person who decided you don't put meat in a manwich can, decided that spam is unwanted email. Second class action lawsuit. If I own spam, I'd go find out who it is and I'd hang them up by their Buster Browns. I'm running out of time here. I wanted to finish this up with, um, with something. I came, I came across another story that I just thought was, I've never heard this and I want to end the show with this. Johnny Cash once demanded that Chris Christofferson, who was a janitor at the time for Columbia Records, be allowed to sit in one of his recording sessions. And it all started with Christofferson being banned from Johnny's recording sessions. Here's what Christofferson said in his own words. I almost got fired one time because a couple of songwriters crashed the session and they were trying to pitch him a gospel album. And for some reason, the woman who was the secretary to the producer blamed me for letting him in there and tried to get me fired. So the next night, my boss came down and said, I don't think you should go to John's session tonight, which was heartbreaking for me because I lived for those recording sessions, but I understood it. 
Johnny wasn't happy to hear that Chris wouldn't be sitting in on the recording session. Christofferson goes on to say, I hid in the vault of the recording studio and was erasing tapes down there or doing some sort of busy work. And all of a sudden, Johnny Cash appeared down there in the basement, just the two of us alone. And he said, I understand you're not coming to the session. And Christofferson said, no, I've got a lot of work to do down here. I can't. And Johnny Cash said, well, I just wanted to tell you, I'm not going to record until you come up there with me. So I had to go up there and sit on the floor. Christofferson finished up by saying, and here I was, the janitor, Chris Christofferson, the janitor at Columbia Records, sitting on the floor, and this woman who tried to get me fired was watching me, and the whole session was the most uncomfortable I've ever been in my life. But I thought that was the measure of the man. He always stood up for the underdog, and that's something I've tried to live up to. He's been a great example. Christofferson said this whole experience was an example of who Johnny Cash really was. You know, when Johnny Cash did that, he would have no idea that Chris Christopherson would go on to have the career that he's had. But he saw something in him and wanted him there for a reason. And that reason changed Christopherson's life. This week, if you find yourself in a situation, whether you're pushing a truck or meeting with a general or trying to see if there's any meat in the man which can, take advantage of that opportunity. See, it's not just for what it is, but what it could be. Magical things can happen. Until next time, be well, safe travels. Thanks for listening. Keep the faith. Well, you wonder why I always dress in black. Why you never see bright colors on my back. And why does my appearance seem to have a somber tone? Well, there's a reason for the things that I have on. I wear the black for the poor and the beaten down. Living in the hopeless, hungry side of town. I wear it for the prisoner who has long paid for his crime, but is there because he's a victim of the time. I wear the black for those who've never read Or listened to the words that Jesus said About the road to happiness through love and charity Why you think he's talking straight to you and me Well, we're doing mighty fine, I do suppose In our streak of lightning cars and fancy clothes but just so we're reminded of the ones who are held back Up front there ought to be a man in black I wear it for the sick and lonely old For the reckless ones whose bad trip left them cold I wear the black in mourning for the lives that could have been Each week we lose a hundred fine young men died believing that the Lord was on their side I wear it for another hundred thousand who have died believing that we all were on their side well there's things that never will be right I know and things need changing everywhere you go 
until we start to make a move to make a few things right you'll never see me wear a suit of white oh i'd love to wear a rainbow every day and tell the world that everything's okay but i'll try to carry off a little darkness on my back till things are brighter i'm the man in black 